0: Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. We are all here today, we've got the full group of us, four of us, which is exciting. And we are continuing to look at Timothy, 1 Timothy. So today we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses, kind of, three to ten. So yeah, we've been looking, last week we were looking at, Paul is speaking to different groups within the church. He's been speaking to older people, elders, and this week we're going to be looking at another group of people in the church who are slightly less welcome. So for you guys to think about, let me just get my questions out, keep disappearing, yeah, so we kind of return to a theme in the passage today that we've seen a few times already in 1 Timothy. What's he touching on again here in this passage? False teachers. So yeah, we've, we've heard a lot
0: about false teachers all the way through this letter, which I guess implies that it must be a really live issue for them. And yeah, he returns to that theme again here, doesn't he, in chapter six?
1: Yeah, and how does he describe the false teachers in this passage?
2: uses quite a lot of fruity vocabulary he Mm. talks about their pride that they're puffed up with conceit he talks about their understanding that they understand nothing and that actually they really want like the thing that they're craving for is controversy and quarreling about words and different things so yeah they're really trying to cause division within the community
3: mm.
0: yeah that phrase reminded me of earlier in the book where he talks about them uh, arguing about myths and genealogies almost like they're obsessed with things that are on the edge of faith and that's what causes so much division and so much yeah quarreling
1: within their body yeah and what the were you going to say something helen
3: yeah it's interesting isn't it this uh, bit where it talks about them being passed up up with conceit and understanding nothing the puffed up with conceit has this sense of being sick like they are ill with a desire for controversies and that their yeah their desire and their need for this discord in the community is making them sick as well as the community itself yeah
1: and they verse three says as well doesn't it if- they're teaching otherwise right so their teaching is not agreeing to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching so yeah I think it gives us some markers doesn't it this passage like how to tell if someone's a false teacher I think always the first thing for us to see is that what they teach is not in God's word and the result what's the result of this False teaching, like within the church, we've kind of touched on it, but well, the
0: words that it uses are envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction.
3: The commentary I read described it as
2: continuous meltdown, which I thought was a, was a great way of describing it. And they're also at that in that verse, it says that they're deprived of the truth or destitute of the truth, so they're really. Like, if you do sway away from the teaching of and the words of Jesus, then you are lacking the truth and going away from that.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, the thing that I thought about a little bit was, if your eyes, we sang this morning at Bible time, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, then... That produces unity, doesn't it? Even in a really diverse group of people. But actually, all these mm. consequences are when your eyes are looking at other people. And so you're envious, you're arguing, there's slander. So it's almost like their gaze has moved from being on Jesus to being on themselves and on each other. And that's just a, yeah, like a cauldron of disunity,
1: isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And this word robbed in verse five. I think that's the it's interesting in this passage there's like a theme of poverty and richness or gain and so we're going to kind of touch on that as we go but what is this financial gain i mean what is it in the esv at the end of verse 5 because here it says so these people these false teachers think that godliness is a means to financial gain what do you think that actually looks like and does it say that in the esv
3: In the ESV, it just says, it says gain, but it doesn't say financial gain. Okay. But the implication is, I think,
1: here that it's to do with money, right?
2: Yeah, I think, or material health and wealth. And as a result of people having, so the idea is that your godliness or your faith, if you have more of it, then you have more material health and wealth.
3: Yeah, the thing I read said that human aims and their pragmatic needs, so their daily needs, have supplanted their longing for God and that fulfillment that is found in God. It was interesting, they said fulfillment that is found in God that separates humans from animals, as if to say, if we are just looking to godliness to fulfill our daily needs, we are no different than animals. So I thought was an interesting take on it, you know, like our differentness as people comes from our particular relationship with God and how he has set us apart and how he created us differently and by going along or listening and adhering to false teaching and the health wealth prosperity gospel we are reducing ourselves we're debasing ourselves from what God excuse me created us to be
1: So do you guys have any examples or have you heard of any times when, because obviously we're talking about these things that were happening back then, but it's still happening now within churches. Have you heard of anything like this happening? Do you have any examples of what it looks like?
3: I don't have any personal examples, but I think given what has been in the news in the UK, well, certainly on the BBC News website this week about TB Joshua and what was going on when he was in charge in his church in Nigeria. You know, he, there were things that were from verse three and four were going on in that church. You know, people's thinking was corrupted. There was an impaired ability to sort of observe clearly what the gospel clearly says. Truth was replaced with falsehoods and then godliness was twisted for financial gain and it's just resulted in ruined lives. And it's, I mean, the other example you could look at is Jacob and Esau, where Esau sold his birthright for a, for a bowl of stew. You know, he replaced the truth of what God, the blessings that were going to come to him for his immediate daily need of a meal. Mm.
1: And it can be quite subtle, can't it? Like, there can be teaching about, you know, how much you give in church directly affects how great your life is going to be. There's the prosperity gospel, which, you know, we kind of think is being rife in certain areas of the world. But actually, it can very subtly sneak into our churches. And, you know, yeah, if you're a really good Christian, or yeah, if you and then people do gain out of that, don't they? Yeah, it's a sneaky Mm. one. So what is true gain? Because, like I said before, there's it's Paul is using imagery, money imagery, isn't he? So he's talked about people being robbed of the truth, and then he's talked about godliness as a means to financial gain. But then he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. So there is a good gain, isn't there? What do you think that is looking at this passage?
0: Well, yeah, I think he helps us understand that, doesn't he? With what he then goes on to talk about, that just the the brutal reality that we're born with nothing and we die with nothing. And so actually keeping that in mind as we live helps us to value our relationship with Jesus and godliness over all the other things that we can become obsessed with, all the stuff that we carry with us through life. So I think he's trying to show us really graphically that when we die, nothing that we've acquired materially is going to go with us. And actually, if we're thinking eternally, then actually living Jesus and with Jesus as Lord is the thing that's going to go with us into the next life and that's where we find contentment and that's not that there's nothing material about that is there that's just about making sure that our hearts are focused on Jesus
2: yeah and I think what Paul says about contentment also in Philippians that actually he has learned in the different states To be content. And so when he has had a lot, he has had to learn how to be content. When he has had very little, he has had to learn how to be content. So it's not something that necessarily just comes to us, but we actually have to learn. And it can be both when we're in a place with a lot and in a place when we have not very much that we can learn this as well. Definitely. Because,
1: yeah, it's kind of humbling, isn't it? we, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it and to find contentment in what we have. I guess it talks here about godliness and I think we already talked about godliness in 1 Timothy, didn't we? But what do you think, like what is the link between godliness and contentment?
3: I think it's quite a hard question to answer in some ways because we're all talking about this from a position of privilege. And so it's easy Mm. to read this passage and be like, well, godliness with contentment, there is great gain from godliness, but that only comes when it's combined with contentment with what God has given us. But I think we're talking about this from a real position of privilege. And so it could be thrown at us that it's very easy for us to sit here and say that. Mm. So I guess what I'm saying is how, How can we answer that question in a way that is applicable and relevant and encourages all, even when you don't have as much as others?
0: Well, Mm. and I guess the other thing to say I think that's relevant to that is the Bible doesn't ever teach that you need to be content when you're destitute, does it? You know, the Bible's really proactive in saying we need to look Mm. after those that don't have enough. And so Paul's clear here, isn't he? that actually people do need to have food and clothing. And so, yeah, I just think that's important to say, that it's not, Mm. we're not saying if you've got nothing, you've just got to suck it up and be happy with it. Like there's loads of other places in the Bible where the church is really commanded to make sure it looks like we looked at a few weeks ago about widows, that the church needs to look after those that don't have enough and aren't able to survive. But I guess what this is talking about is being content with enough rather than craving luxury and excess and more and more and more.
3: Mm. And I guess craving the reassurance that God is near rather than that sort of inner contentment that comes not from yourself, but that comes through a relationship with God through the truth of the gospel. And that reassurance that, that God is near, God sees you. And yeah, things are really hard and life is difficult, but God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And I guess as well, like there's a, there's this
1: idea, especially in the West, that the more I have, the happier I'll be. You know, if I just have this next thing, I'll be happy. But I think living in a kind of country where I'm living at the moment, I think the more that I spend time with people who in in my eyes have a lot less than most people in the UK and yet there is a you know there is a happiness and a quality in their life which actually lacks in in many people's lives in the UK i think really like true true contentment is a really like inner thing isn't it and and it can be found you know yes if we've got enough food and clothing obviously that's really important but i you know and actually if you look at the rich people in the world they are often the ones who are the, the most unhappy So, yeah, it's kind of deep, isn't it? What is the warning here in these verses, especially thinking from verse 9 to 10? Well,
0: I guess that idea that you just said, Mary, that thinking if I just have the next thing, Paul Mm. calls that a trap or a snare, doesn't he? That that's just a lie. And you just spend your life chasing the next thing. So I think that's a really clear warning that that just leads you to destruction.
3: Yeah, and I think it's that desire for something other than God that is the real issue. You know, the Bible doesn't say that material goods are bad in itself, in themselves, but often it talks about how our motivation and our desire for them causes us to turn away from a a true relationship with God towards the richness in itself and towards ourselves, in fact. And so although there's nothing wrong with material goods, it's that desire and looking for full satisfaction in money or things, which is an issue and drags us away from living life more fully with god
1: mm.
2: and and it's something that won't satisfy as well because the more you have, the more you want, and it it doesn't really fill that void, whereas when you're seeking after God the more you seek after him the more satisfied you get and it's just like the opposite and yeah
3: mm. yeah the other the other warning i saw in verse 9 is that the way it reads is but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and then towards the end of verse 9 it says that plunge people into ruin and destruction it doesn't say plunges them into ruin and destruction so this is more than just an individual desiring more leading to their own ruin people with these kind of you know if you're you've got these desires and these motivations and you're doing this kind of thing you're going to pull other people down with you it's more than just an individual thing it's a community thing
1: and it's it's striking, isn't it, that it talks about the love of money being a root of all kinds of evil. And actually, it's not the, you know, obviously, at the at the root of it is the love of money, but we don't actually love the money, we love the what money can get us, right? Whether that's for some people, power, for some people, it's security, for some people, it's image, like it's related to image, it's kind of like this root has lots of different Sprouts and I I think it's worth looking at our own lives because I was struck this week, like when I want this next thing, you know, especially at Christmas, when I always I always find Christmas is a time when you know people will send money and I can actually get something that I want without feeling so like guilty about it. As an overseas worker, you always feel guilty about spending money. But I think, yeah, I'm like, do these (laughs) when I want the next thing, like what's that in my heart? Is this a useful thing? Or am I just yearning for a little bit more? satisfaction a little bit more this next thing which then when I've got it I'll just want the next thing after it it is challenging like with clothes or you know what we buy for our homes and things like that like are we being challenged by this like this word for ourselves and not just kind of looking out of ourselves at the church or the bigger picture
0: it reminds me of Jesus's Words where he says, you know, you cannot serve both God and money. And I guess mm-hmm. it's what motivates your heart, isn't it? And actually, Jesus knows that the thing that we love the most is what sets the whole course of our lives. And that can't be, we have to make that choice, don't we? That can't be God and money. We have to choose one or the other. Yeah, my my sort of seasonal thing linked to that, Mary, is that whole... Paul jump says i'm an advertiser's dream because you i see something on a billboard and then about two minutes later yeah, i'm yeah. like oh do you know what i really fancy and it's it can be food related or it could be something else and so now we drive past a billboard and he, he says in the car often everybody eyes to the right do not look to the left because i'm so But <laughs> at the minute i've really taken to when i see something either on a billboard or in an advert or in a shop just saying to myself Jill life is not found there that is not going to make you happy and you know just having that practice of actually speaking that over the thing that looks so attractive in the moment is so helpful because Mm. you know that there's so much money isn't there pumped into persuading us that life is found in the new KFC burger or whatever it is that would be my personal but yeah that would be us (laughs) we've got to um We've just got to fight that with truth, isn't it? That that's not where life is found and that's not going to satisfy me.
1: Yeah, and I guess the ultimate, like the warning at the at the very end talks about wandering from the faith. Like it's so dangerous, isn't it? This love of money, like these things, they tend to kind of seep in until we just don't realise
3: that it's actually in some way it's kind of replaced our faith. I found that thing about wandered away from the faith, almost like, you know, you get distracted and you slowly just sort of slip away. I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, people turning away from the faith is so rarely a a massive once-off seismic event. Usually it's just that slow, slow drip or that slow, slow slip before we just sort of wander off. I just found it such mm. a, a good warning like that wandering away concept just made me really sit up and take notice and be like wait where in my life am I wandering is it stuff is it I don't not I hate to use the word power but like is it inf- positions of influence like where is it in my life that I am tempted just to almost unconsciously wander away mm. yeah that's helpful
0: and I guess a good question to ask ourselves, isn't it, from that verse 10 is what what am I craving? What is the things that I'm craving? Because if it isn't more of God, then it's it's bad for it's gonna be bad for me ultimately.
1: Yeah, you're right. And that's that's helpful actually, that word craving or yearning. Like really, Tim Keller really helped me to see that, you know, when we have an idol like money then you can't just take that idol away you know you can't just say oh i'm not going to be into money anymore you have to replace that idol with something so really our if we really deep down our yearning is for god isn't it and the things that money we think money can give us actually we get it from god better and eternal so really yeah it's kind of seeing that isn't it like how yeah i am struggling with this thing i'm struggling to not look at adverts or not to want the next thing But also, how am I going to turn that towards God? How am I going to love the cross and love Jesus more today so that those things become, they just feel like ashes in my mouth? Because that's what they are, really. They just, they're they're nothing compared to him. It's challenging. Did you guys have any other applications from this passage or things that you noticed that were helpful or challenging?
2: Yeah, I was really struck by that, you know, we brought nothing into the world and we can't carry anything out. And I especially, I was thinking about it because I was looking with my family at Job recently and Job says similar things when he is in a place with everything taken away. And yeah, I think it's easy to think about this when we have ample food and clothing but when we are in a place of difficulty I just yeah I really pray that God would have that attitude in my heart that like would just keep us looking towards heaven
0: I I guess for, for me the application is that it's the twofold thing isn't it of being asking God to help us be aware what it is that we're craving but then also asking God to change us so that we are craving him and that that's that he changes our desires so that we're desiring him more than other things
1: how do you think we can practically like grow our desire for God and our focus on him like just thinking practically going away from this i can give
2: you an example of my current so i've been sick for like maybe 8 days and Yeah, I feel like I've been praying, God, give me health, God, give me health. But like, actually, towards the latter end of my sickness, I've finally been like, oh, like, give me more of you and like, maybe the health will come someday. And, (laughs) And I think like that's that position of like, reshaping the focus, like wanting the stuff. But rather than wanting the relationship. And I feel like probably that's just a silly application. But there's a lot of other situations that might be like that when you've had a letdown in some way and you're wanting the good thing, mm. but actually what you need is to seek God. Mm.
0: And yeah, I just think well, there's a lot of work we can do, isn't there, around calling out the lies of our culture. That actually life is not found in those things, and you're left then with where life is found, which is Jesus. So, yeah, for me, I think mentally I've got to work hard to not just be sucked along by where our culture would say life is found. Because, like you said, Mary, that it's ashes, isn't it, compared to Jesus?
3: Yeah, I read a really interesting thing in relation to that that said that there was a terrible confusion in our world between intelligence and cleverness and knowledge and truth that the acquisition of information does not equal knowing truth and that cleverness does not equal truth and yet we constantly believe constantly believe oh this person's more clever than me they must know the truth but it's not it's not the same thing and yeah we need to guard against that don't we it's interesting Mm. yeah i think for me, the the thing you said, Mary, was like how can we what did what was your question? Was it something like how can we get more of God? Or like how can we grow these desires? And I think I think it might have been Juliet a few minutes ago said, or maybe it was you, Mary, said, you know, the more you have something, the more you want it. And so I mm. I really just think that the more time you spend praying, reading your Bible. Talking about God with people, the more you see of him and the more you will want him. Mm. Um, It sounds like such a Sunday school answer, but in this case, I absolutely uphold to the Sunday school answer. How are you going to build your relationship with God and see more of him by engaging with him in the ways that he chooses to communicate with us, which is through Mm. his word and through prayer? And yes, indeed, daily life, acknowledging him and appreciating him in daily life. He is always near. But the two primary ways that he communicates with us is through his word and through prayer. Mm,
1: Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Thanks, guys. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week for the last bit of One Timothy. Is that right? I think think we've only got like nine. Yeah. Cool. See you later. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: That was quite a sick bye from Juliet. Bye. What was it? Oh,
2: <laughs> bye. bye. <laughs> I never. I'll be sick forever. <laughs>